Amen. Let's take our Bible and turn back to Revelation chapter number 6. Revelation chapter 6. This morning we will pick up and we will just cover the first eight verses. Revelation 6, of course, you remember uh, we finished right before uh, the holiday break where we uh, finished uh, Revelation chapter number 5. And so uh, this week I'll put some stuff up on the blog and the Facebook to help us out with this section. But uh, please don't forget that in your study of the book of Revelation that this is one section, chapter 4 to chapter 7, the end of chapter 7 is one section. In fact, um, the book of Revelation is made up of these several visions and it's almost like an instant replay. You know, when you're watching a football game and somebody runs a touchdown and then they just show you about five or six instant replays, it's the same play. They just show it to you from different sections. And so yeah, you have these seven candlesticks there and those uh, first few chapters, which are the seven churches. And then we'll talk about these seven seals and seven trumpets and seven judgments or bowls judgments, all of those are not chronologically in order. They're just seven sets of telling you the same thing in a little bit different way. And so you want to read chapter 4 to chapter 7 and together. But if you found your place, Revelation chapter 6, let me read these first eight verses for us and you put your um, eyes on the paper and read along with me silently as I read the word of the Lord for us. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out, and to him was sat on it. It was granted to take peace from the earth, and that the men would slay one another or slaughter one another. And a great sword was given to him. Verse number 5. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he had sat on it, had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil or the wine." Verse number 7, when the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it, in the name of death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over the fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Would you uh, join me in a word of prayer this morning? Father, we now come and we look at your word and We believe that it is inerrant and infallible and inspired, that it is the very words of the living God of heaven. And so, Lord, I pray now that you'd help me to think carefully and clearly. Lord, I pray that all of us as your people would uh, force out all of the ideas of lunch right now and uh, um, problems at work and all of those things. And Lord, in this uh, few moments of time that we would focus upon your word and that you'd teach us, Father, your word and to be more like Jesus. And we will thank you for it, for it is in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. 
Uh, I want to say on the front half here, what I want to do today is kind of just teach down through these verses, these eight verses, and then when I get to the end, I will try my best to give us some application points. For some of you joining us today, maybe this is the first time you've been in a church in a while, or maybe uh, you know, you're, you're an unbeliever, but you're joining somebody a little bit skeptical. I do realize that the language in this passage is quite awkward, right? It is definitely a literary passage, a genre of symbolism, and so, you know, when you start reading about four horsemen, you know, if, you're, if your mind's like mine, you go back to the 80s and, and the 90s and Saturday morning wrestling, and you're thinking about Art Anderson and the four horsemen, right? Amen. amen. I knew I'd get one amen out of that. Well, you know, that's where they come from, the whole four horsemen of the apocalypse. And, you know, you'll watch movies and, and, and this reference, uh, you might hear that in, in uh, pop culture, you'll hear that reference, and this is obviously the passage upon which that comes from. But, uh, and I want to say on the out front here that as I teach down through these verses, please understand that there have been great scholars and good people down through all of church history that have understood uh, parts of the book of Revelation in various ways. And uh, I want you to understand that it has nothing to do with the inerrancy of Scripture or has, doesn't have anything to do with salvation by faith and grace alone. Uh, we're not talking about the virgin birth. We are simply talking about the way to understand God's Word. And it doesn't mean that God's Word is wrong or that there's multiple interpretations. It just simply means that we are all fallen human beings, right? Let me try that again. We are all fallen human beings, right? That's right. Everybody in this room is a sinner. And so we are doing the best that we can to understand the Word of the living God. And where we fall short, we are sure that the Lord Jesus Himself, by and by, in eternity future, shall help us to understand all that has been written. With that being said, let me just teach down through these verses and then give you a point. So you notice there it says in verse number 1, Then I saw when the Lamb, and of course this is right on the heels of chapter number 5, which is all about the Lamb who was crucified and slain, risen and ascended into glory, and all honor and glory belongs to the Lamb of God. John looked and he was looking for the lion. What did he see? He saw the Lamb of God that provides. And so this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ that breaks the seal here. Then I saw the one, the Lamb, broke one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures and you'll remember that obviously from chapter 4 in our study that around the throne of God are these four living creatures that are always saying holy and holy and holy is the Lord God Almighty and so these creatures now look in verse number 2 I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So let's just discuss these uh, four horsemen, if you would, uh, and who they are. First of all, this morning, I would say that I think best, my best understanding of the Scripture would be that the rider upon the white horse here is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Now, I'm sure that some of you have heard different understandings. and Maybe you might have heard something as if um, this, white, this man on the white horse is the Antichrist to come in the future and, and that sort of thing. But I, I believe most likely that this is none other than the Lord Jesus Himself. You say, well, what are, what are some support? Why do you see it that way? Well, first of all, it fits in harmony with the way that the book has already been laid out. Do you remember in chapter number 1, verse 12 through 16, where there's this great vision of Jesus Christ as the conqueror of all eternity and what's the very next thing you see in chapter 2 and chapter 3 the persecution of the church 
And the same thing goes on here. And you're seeing this vision here of the Lord Jesus Christ on the white, riding on the white horse. And the next thing you'll see unfolding with these horses is the persecution of the church. A second thing is what I would say is that, that uh, when you look at the word studies here in this passage, you would find that it would be really hard for this to be somebody bad because anytime you see the word white, that color used in the book of Revelation, you always find it being used in Revelation as something that is holy, that is right, that is good. And so we have the white garments that are upon the Christian believers. We have the white horse upon which Christ will ride in Revelation 19. We have the white clouds upon which Christ returns in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. So we always notice that the use of white in the, in the Scripture here, especially in Revelation, is speaking here of purity and righteousness. So whoever the rider is upon the white horse must come as the one who has purity and righteousness. And then look here, if you would, back at verse number 2. It says that a crown was given to him. Well, if you were to look today, and we don't have time uh, to do all this, but Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, that's in perfect harmony because a crown is given to Jesus himself in Revelation 14. And again, in Revelation 19, Jesus receives crowns, and he is there riding upon a white horse. And then notice the end of verse number 2, this interesting phrase. It says, and he went out conquering and to conquer. The, the phrase there really means to conquer and to conquer more. It is an eternal conquest. It is one who has complete and utter victory. And where, uh, other than two times... The word for conquer, always in the book of Revelation, other than twice, is always used of Jesus or His people who are winning the day and conquest and victory for the Lord's purposes. And in fact, the closest reference to this conquering one is only one chapter away, back in chapter 5, verse number 5, when it called Jesus the Lamb who is slain, who is the conqueror. Now why in heaven's name would anybody think that the topic would just begin to switch? No, the one who conquers in chapter 5 is the one who comes conquering in chapter number 6. And then uh, if you take your Bible and turn over to Psalm 45, I'll just show you this real quick. Uh, Psalm 45 is a prophecy about the um, book of the Revelation. Psalm 45 because some people will say, well, you know, the rider on the white horse in chapter number 6 has a bow and arrow, but the one in chapter number 19 has a sword. Therefore, the one in chapter 6 is the Antichrist, and the one in chapter number 19 is Jesus. Well, Psalm 45, I think, uh, helps us a little bit with that. Uh, Psalm, what did I say, 145? Turn to Psalm 45. Psalm 45, verse 3 through 5, I think is helpful to understand that the Messiah, when he comes again, that he has both of this, the arrow and the sword. Look at verse number 3, Psalm 45. Gird your sword on your thigh. That is directly out of Revelation 19, verse number 11. O mighty one, in your splendor and in your majesty, and in your majesty ride on victoriously. Does that not remind you of Revelation 6, verse number 2? He is on the horse. He is riding forth to conquer in conquest. And in your majesty ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Uh, let your right hand teach your awesome things. And look at verse number 5. Your arrows are sharp. The people fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemy. 
The first rider on the right white horse in Revelation chapter number 6, verse number 2, I believe is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, what does that mean? That means that from the time of the cross and even all the way until the day in which He comes again, that the Lord Jesus Christ rides forth into this world and Christ and His gospel is conquering the world. Now, I don't want to give any premature application, but what I do want you to understand is, as a believer, you can hold your head up. And you do not have to watch the news in fear and shut it off and put your head in the sand and worry and wring out your hands and grow ulcers in your stomach as to what is happening on the world stage. What I want you to understand is Jesus Christ conquers everything. And His gospel is winning the day. And just because in our country we see a deadening of the Spirit, we see a deadening of hearts, and we are ministering a hard time, I want you to understand that there are places in this world where the gospel is being received greatly, and thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ. And Jesus does not lose. Jesus always wins. Amen? And so I want you to leave this week. I want you to go back out in the world, back into your work, back with your family, back to the way you're living, and understand that no matter what comes our way this week, Christ and His gospel is riding forth in victory. The first horse rider here is none other than Jesus Himself. Then look here, if you would, at verse number 3. When He broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, and now we see a guy on a red horse. And he went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that, uh, and that men would slay. Now you want to highlight that. Men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. Now in some of your, uh, maybe some of your study Bibles, you might have where that says the red horse is for war. Well, that's a slightly different. I think what we want to understand here is that the first rider on the white horse is Christ Jesus, and the rider of the red horse is not so much worldwide war, war as it is the persecution and the slaying of believers. And that makes perfect sense when we read the Bible. Matthew chapter 10 verse 33 all the way to 44, you will find that the Bible says when Christ comes he will bring the sword. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage. The first rider is Christ and the second rider brings the sword of slaying. And uh, what you'll notice here, you see where in your Bible it says to slay one another? That phrase or that particular word uh, other than one time in the entire New Testament, it is always used not of war on a mass scale, but to the taking, the brutal taking of the lives of believers. In fact, look down if you would at verse number 9. In this same chapter, it gives you the explanation. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, what did He see? I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain. It's the same word, not by war, but by persecution of the believers. Christ rides on in victory. His gospel is being spread throughout the world. But brothers and sisters, what you will find is that wherever Christ and His gospel go forth, the persecution of believers will follow. Just think of all of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East that are having their throats slit they are being burned alive in cages and all of the things that are not reported in the world today where men and women who love Jesus are dying for their faith. There is this red horse of the persecution of the believer. And then look with me, if you will, at the next. He says, um, verse number 5, When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, 
And I looked and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. Now, whenever you see this reference in the Bible to the scales, whenever they have to pull the scales out of the woodshed and blow the, blow the dust off of them, it always has to do with economic hardship and injustice and problems. So it's not widespread famine, but it is economic injustice. And let me show you that. Look at verse number 6. And I heard something like a voice from the center of the four living creatures. And uh, just read chapter 5 and you'll find that that's the voice of Jesus. And it says here, a cord of wheat for a denarius. And you say, what does that mean? It simply means that you could buy uh, a day's wage would buy you a day's amount of food. So it's not widespread famine, but wouldn't you say that you would want to make a little bit more money than just one day's wage for one day's amount of eat? You have to have a place to stay. You have to turn on the electricity. There are many other things to make it in life than just having enough to pay for food. So what's going on in this verse is not so much just a widespread famine, but it is economic injustice. And now all of our minds collectively as a church must say, huh, who is it that the economic injustice is being geared to? Why are these people being starved to death? Who is it in this passage when John first wrote this book? Who would he be speaking to? Well, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we spoke about seven churches. And all of the believers in those churches and in those cities, because of their testimony for Jesus, because of their faith in Christ, because they would not worship false idols, they were being driven out of the trade guilds, they were being made to have no work, they walked the streets, and they had no money. And so the second and the third horse here go together. When Christ comes into the world, when Christ brings His salvation and His gospel, what follows? on the heels of that, nothing else but persecution and injustice for believers. And then the last horse, let me walk us through that. Look at verse number 7. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked and behold an ashen horse. Now, some of your translations might read uh, green, pale, ugly. Doesn't matter what it says, all right? Pale is really the idea here. And then it is the horse of death, right? Uh, it says here, I saw this one, and uh, the ashen horse or pale horse, and he who has sat on it, uh, had the name of death and Hades. Now, if some of your translations may say hell here, hell or Hades in your Bible uh, can either refer to the eternal damnation of lost souls or it can simply refer to death and the grave, all right? And so I think in the context of this passage, it's probably best to understand one after the other. So death and the grave is coming for us. And then look, if you would, back here. And Hades was following with him. And look here, authority was given to them over the fourth of the earth, to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and with the wild beasts. And now this last horse, this one of death, is one that moves to a broader sense. We have Christ riding on the white horse. We have the red horse of persecutions of the believer. We, uh, we have this next horse, this black horse of economic injustice for, or for believers. And then lastly, we have this total death that is coming not only for believers, but for all the world. They say, Steve, is this speaking about some particular seven-year period of time in the future? No, I don't think so. I think from the time that Christ came until the present and until Jesus comes again, we shall see these things unfolding before our very eyes. Christ and His gospel going forth. The persecution of believers. 
And brothers and sisters, just because we have been privileged the last few hundred years in this country not to experience it, do not think for a moment that we are exempt from suffering. Persecution will come for us who believe and hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Even on a very small scale, aren't there people even in this room that you've been passed over for a promotion because of your belief in Christ? You've had your job become in jeopardy because you refused to attend something that was against biblical principles. Aren't there people in this room that your, uh, your family or friends or people have shunned you and turned their back on you and left you hung out to dry because of your faith for Christ? I tell you that that will come on a much grander level. And ultimately, death and the grave will rule the world until the one who has victory over death, hell, and the grave will come again. When Christ comes again, He will make all things right. Now that is the explanation, the best understanding that I can give you for these four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I can see on some of your faces, you wish that I would have given some sort of outlandish plan of when Jesus was coming back and some sort of ten nation European nations and black helicopters coming up over the horizon and all of this kind of stuff. And I know that you read books and all of that kind of thing. Now I'm just going to tell you, you're more than welcome to read that. I think this is the best understanding of this. And so let me just take just a couple of minutes before we move into the Lord's Supper today and give you a few points of application. Because as we take the scripture, we want to find our application in it. Here's the first point I want to make to you today. Christ and His gospel win the day, so get to work. Let me say that to you again. Christ and His gospel win the day, so get to work. Share the gospel. Invite people to church. Tell everybody that you can. Bring them to the knowledge of Christ. Share your testimony. Give them a gospel track. Invite them to something we do here, one of our children's ministries or something without you. Hey, get busy for the Lord because the gospel and the Lord Jesus win the day. He is carrying out His purposes. Therefore, all of us should be in the ministry of sharing the gospel and bringing people to faith in Him. I was standing in Kroger's yesterday afternoon. I was, uh, I, was, I was purchasing something. I'm standing there in the line. And wouldn't you know it, every line that I pick has to be the slowest line. Is that the way it is for you? And I'm standing there, and they can't figure it out. And, they, and the line's just piling up. And there's a guy right behind me, and he, he starts talking to me. I don't want to talk. I want to go home. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and everything is going wrong. And as I've told you before, it's as if Jesus kind of said, Hello, McFly. You don't know this guy from a hole in the wall, but he's talking to you. Why don't you turn around and invite him to come to church? And even though you think I'm your pastor, it's hard for me too. I get nervous and I get awkward. And the Lord helped me to give him an invitation to come to church. I think that if you'll pray every day of your life and ask the Lord to bring people into your life that you can share the gospel with, you can witness to, you can give your testimony, you can invite to come to a church to hear the gospel, the Lord will provide. And brothers and sisters, we are on the winning side, so get to work. Amen? Here's a second point. Christianity is a costly commitment, so live what you believe. You see those second and third horses, persecution 
economic injustice. These first century believers were going through literally hell and back to serve Jesus. I don't know how many times people have said to me, Pastor, I just don't know if I'd be willing to die for Jesus. I can tell you whether you would be willing to die for Jesus if you're willing right now to live for Jesus. It might cost you a promotion. It might cost you a friendship. It might cost you not being in the cool crowd. It might cost you being ostracized by people. Christianity is a costly commitment. You say, and you want to know Jesus' way, Jesus' master plan of evangelism? He never did like drive-by soul and you don't want to go to hell, you want to go to heaven, you're saved. Jesus almost pushed people away. They had to climb over Jesus to get into heaven. Jesus said, if you want to be a follower of me, count the cost. Nobody goes to war unless they have counted the losses that they're going to take. And I'm just saying to us as a bunch of believers here, it's time to trim the fat. It's time for us to commit ourselves to Jesus and be willing to live every day of our lives for the gospel and His kingdom and His righteousness. And there are areas of my life and your life where we are falling woefully short of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Confess your sin. Ask Him to help you. And live daily by the Spirit. Amen? I saw this video early this morning. You know, I really shouldn't watch... uh, Give me two more minutes. I really shouldn't watch videos on Facebook before I preach. But I watched one this morning and made me flat mad. I watched this video about these these uh, prosperity gospel preachers. And the debate they were having is whether it was okay for them to own a $75 million plane. Let me give you the answer. No! As long as there's starving people in the city of Raleigh, no! You don't need that. And one dude said, I couldn't do 90% of what I do unless I had a Learjet. You know what? The world would be a better place if you didn't do 90% of what you do. Man, that was mean. Sorry about that. Let me tell you something. Christianity ain't about feeling good. Christianity's about serving Jesus. Amen? Uh, he'll come back one day and make everything right. You just hang in there and serve Him and give your life to Him. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've found one preacher that's going to be honest with you. If you want to be a, a Christian, you're going to have to lay down everything and come to Jesus and give your whole life to Him, and then He'll save you. Okay? Here, uh, let me give you this, and we'll finish for today. Christ is in control of all things, even the bad stuff. When I look at those four horsemen, and I think about the world in which we live in, and I think about my own personal world, there are times when it seems very chaotic and hurting and painful. Christ is in control. Look back. Do you see verse 3? He broke the second seal. Verse 5, He broke it. Verse 7, the Lamb broke it. Verse 9, the Lamb broke it. Verse number 12, He broke the sixth seal. Verse number 16, the end, it is the wrath of the Lamb. Verse number 17, for the great day of the wrath of Him has come. He is behind all of this. Even the bad stuff, Christ is in the middle of it, working it for His glory and our good. That is one of the great purposes of the book of Revelation, is to bring encouragement to all believers to say, no matter how ugly the world looks, God is in charge and He is working it for His glory and our ultimate good. Therefore, hold on and hold out and Jesus will be here soon. Amen? 
My best friend. Yeah, some of y'all met him. My, my best friend is uh, Bill Booyer. And uh, I love him. Love him, like, love him like my dad. Many years ago, when his mom went in the hospital with cancer and was going to die, some preacher came into the hospital room. It wasn't his pastor, but some preacher came into the hospital room and slapped him on the back and said, Well, Bill, it'll make you bitter or make you better. Stupid platitudes never helped anybody. And in fact, when you say those kinds of things, they hurt. Because the truth of the matter is, you can trust God all you want and some things still turn out bad. Some things don't have resolution in this lifetime. Trust the Lord. Put your faith and confidence in Him. And put one foot in front of the other. And be confident that He is in control of all things. And when He comes, we will worship Him and adore Him forever. And He will bring healing to every hurting heart. Amen? Amen. Let me give you a point of application of how you can do that because I don't want to just leave you on your own. The, the two ways that I know how to do that the best is to anchor yourself, anchor your feet in what God has done already for you. Put your feet down in what God has done. Have you seen Him bless financially? Have you seen Him bless in your family? Have you seen God save your soul? If you've seen God do anything, put your anchor down in that. Put your feet down in that. And secondly, stretch your arms, stretch your heart toward heaven in adoration and love of Jesus. Anchor down in what He's done and love Him with all of your heart. And you find that God will make your soul okay right where you are. I'm going to ask if you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. We're going to move into a time here of the Lord's Supper. And I think this is a perfect opportunity. Brothers and sisters, please listen to me. I want to take the Lord's Supper in just a moment and ask the deacons to come. But right where you are, just take just a moment to think about that. And I, I just want you to know that whatever you're dealing with, God knows. Wherever you are, He's there thinking of that song a little bit earlier that Kaylee sung, the waves and the winds still know His name. Whatever you're dealing with, He knows. Anchor yourself in what the Lord's done and long to love Him with all of your heart. Why don't you take a quiet moment to pray through that. I'm going to ask our deacons to stand. say a word of prayer for us and then we will distribute the bread and enter in upon this time. Lord, You're gracious and good and kind and I pray that You would bless this congregation. Lord, I pray that we would realize that Jesus wins the day, that we would realize that it is a commitment to serve You and Lord, that we would remember in our hearts that You are in control of everything. I pray that if there's a lost person here today that doesn't know You, that they give up 